Hello everyone, John here. Welcome to this edition of C-Suite Interviews, brought to you by the Big Cast Network and sponsored by our good friends at Coney. Hey, today we've got a great interview. Most of you know Bill Hampel, the Chief Economist and Chief Policy Officer for the Credit Union National Association for nearly 39 years. Bill has recently retired and starting a consulting practice focusing on helping credit unions with all kinds of issues. Among them is capital. Answering the question, what is the right amount of capital for all the different stakeholders, your board, your members, your management team, and yes, our regulator, the NCUA, how will Cecil have an impact on capital, and uh, just more generally how to think about how to returning more value and how capital plays a role in that. So if you're ready, put your feet up, and here's my interview with Bill. Hey, Bill. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, John. Good to be here. Yeah, you know, most of our listeners, your voice is going to be very familiar to them because a lot of the folks um, are in the credit union movement. And they're going to remember your storied career at CUNA as an economist, as a policy person. What they might not know is that you've transitioned into consulting now after 39 years of being at CUNA. And uh, maybe tell us a little bit about the consulting business and its mission and share with us an update on that, if you would. Yeah, so the main mission of the consulting business is to keep me from slipping into senility and getting bored. Um, not, not, not really, not really. It's um, that, that's 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 still at least you know two or three months. No, that's never. Mind. Let's get serious for a moment. The consulting business is just to continue doing what I've loved doing for the last thirty-nine years, which was um, t- taking this peculiar way of thinking that economists are trained at, which is to to try to be data driven and to think of making decisions on the margin, comparing costs and benefits of any decision on the margin, trying to figure out what the best thing is, taking that and and helping credit unions understand that approach and how it might be applied to problems and issues that they face to help them make better decisions and to, uh, to, to, to do the best they can to serve their members. So it's, it's, it's largely doing the same things, you know, I, I, I learned a whole lot working for credit unions for all those 39 years. So it's just continuing to apply that knowledge to problems and issues that credit unions face to help them make decisions. I love that. So, you know, you do talk to a lot of folks and have talked to a lot of folks over the years. Hey, and not to get too serious too soon, when I was doing my research about you, Bill, I could not find a picture online with you without a beard. Have you always had a beard? Yes. Um, I... Since college, I I, uh, tr- I shaved it off once for a for a special event for my best friend for a, a couple weeks, and then I also shaved it off for a month about thirty years ago on a bet at CUNA on a on a project we were working on, and I said if if it goes this way, I will, sh-, you know, I I was pushing for something, so I said I'd shave it off for a month, and I. I redefined a month to be four weeks because I hated shaving so much. And the strangest thing is that when I did that, my son was about nine years old and he had never seen me without a beard. And I went into the bathroom and it, it was a painful process. And I came out about an hour later without a beard and he almost freaked. He didn't know what he was looking at. So, so, <laughs> well, thanks for so, sharing. Thanks for sharing the yes. backstory. I was yeah. wondering because I, you know, as I was looking online, as, as I said, so, hey, but so during these 39 years, getting back on, on task here, you've had an incredible experience talking to a lot of leaders in our, in our business. 
And so from those engagements, and those conversations, you probably get some takeaways about, you know, what's important, what's on the minds of CEOs, particularly today. Um, what, what do you, what have you gathered? What have you learned? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sort of comes in, in, in two buckets and they, they, there's a cross crossover from one to the other to a certain extent, but from a lot of, from a lot of folks, what I hear is fear, not, you know, not abject terror, but just concern about all the negative, the bad things that could happen to them. And therefore they, they put an awful lot of their energy uh, counteracting what they think might be the best things likely to happen. Like, you know, for, for the last few years, it's been the pace of technological change. Can we afford to keep, will we be able to keep up? Can we afford the cost of keeping up and staying in the game? Hmm. Uh, fear of new competitors, you know, SoFi and Amazon, P2P payments. You know, there, there's the fintechs are coming up with new ways of doing things all the time. It's really, really rapidly. And are they, they're going to take our business away from us. Our, our members are going to be so attracted to these alternatives, especially the younger members, that we're not going to be able to keep them in the credit union. Or just general fear of the operating environment, you know, the economy, sponsor relations, local competition, what the examiner might think when they come and see the credit union next. So, and, you know, this is not all bad because concern about the you know being being left behind is what gets spurs us on to stay ahead of the game and, and do things so it, it can this can be positive so I, it's not like credits are frozen in fear but a lot of what i see is on credits mind is sort of a concern that they're not going to be able to keep up uh, but then the other on the other side I, I see among a lot of credit and leaders just the sense of opportunity that there, that there are all these opportunities out there just to be reach for them and go for them and grab them and that they would have really positive results. So here new technologies are seen as an opportunity by many credit unions as a way to overcome some of the, the, the barriers we have to serving our members, you know, to be able to serve them technologically as opposed to having to have uh, branches all over the place, especially for one geographic dispersion. The opportunities that come from new services, if we can offer our members new services, we can do more for them and attract more of them and keep them happier with us and they bring their friends. Um, and then also just the notion of underserved markets. And by this, I don't mean underserved in the sense of uh, the unbanked, you know, the, the, the folks who, who haven't been able to afford or, or connect with the financial institution. Just in general, including those people, but also just across the economic spectrum, most credit unions have, a, especially with expanded fields of membership for the last couple of decades, mm -hmm. have a much have a pretty low ratio of their current members to their potential members. And so the, for most credit unions, it's a pretty significant opportunity to, to serve more members, do more stuff for more members. And so a lot of credit unions, you know, are looking at, at this as an opportunity. And then sort of the, an, an overall point here is that, that, you know, 10 years ago, we almost lost the system. Well, not really, but 10 years ago was really, really, really stressful. The Great Recession, the, the, what happened with the corporate credit unions and, and, and credit unions in the sand states, it was really, really rough. Uh, and we all had to sort of hunker down and, and get healthy again. Well, the vast majority of credit unions, particularly larger credit unions, you know, say credit unions are over 250 million in assets or especially over half a billion or more in assets, are really healthy right now, and they're on a really strong footing. And I, 
I sense among a lot of credit unions the notion that we're we're in good shape. This is the time to be going for it, to be to be to accomplishing more because we, we've got the the robustness and the wherewithal to be able to do it. Well, you know what? You must be living in my head a little bit because as a CEO is in the sand states, you better believe we hunkered down and really wanted to know how to be there for our members in that time. And now in prosperity, more recent times, we're thinking about, wow, okay, so earnings are good. Capital is growing. Um, yeah. Maybe I can provide more value. I call it, maybe I can accelerate my mission, you know. Yeah. So capital is, is a big tool for us to use and to think about. So maybe a good grounding place for our conversation is what is capital? What's so, what's so important about capital? Yeah, so how, how I sometimes describe this when I, I, I teach financial management classes, when I teach ratio analysis, is that I talk about the capital ratio, which is the ratio of your, your, your capital, your net worth, your retained earnings to total assets. And how I describe this is to say, if I were, have to have, if I were exiled to a desert island, and I could only take one ratio with me in order to be able to analyze credit unions on this desert island, it would be the capital ratio. Hmm. It is the single most important uh, ratio in credit union analysis or, or, or just thinking about a credit union for, for two reasons, both backward looking and forward looking. Uh, backward looking, the capital ratio of a credit union is the, sort of the sum of the history of the operation of the credit union. Because think for a minute what it is. Capital is all of the retained earnings. It is all of the net income the credit union has ever earned, is what capital is, since its first day of, of operation, divided by the current assets of the credit union. So the, the, the capital ratio there is sort of an indication of how well the credit union has, has operated because it's, it, it tells how much net, net worth it has, it has accumulated. Mm -hmm. Looking forward, the capital ratio is the single best measure. It's not, you know, other things are very important, but it's a, if you only had one, it is the single best measure of the robustness of the credit union, of the ability of the credit union to absorb losses, uh, you know, to, to withstand negative events. And, and so, what, you know, what we want, especially if we're concerned about possible negative events, we want to be able to withstand those negative events and after them, still be around to serve our members and, and continue doing well for our members. And so, you know, looking forward, that's what's um, so important about the capital ratio. It's our ability to stand, withstand losses. Now, further, if we need to sort of maintain a capital ratio, if, we, if, if having a sufficient capital ratio is important, um, then having a little bit more than the minimum level of capital is further important in order to allow growth. Uh, because, you know, if, if capital ratio is capital divided by assets, even if you're not having any losses, yes. if, you're, if your operations are fine, if you see a spurt of growth, and especially if that growth isn't something that was caused by the credit union, let's say that the stock market goes haywire and your members get nervous and they want a safe place to invest. And so the flight to safety leads to a big influx of deposits into your credit union. And so your asset base mushrooms and your capital, you haven't lost a penny of capital, you're still earning money, but the capital divided by the new bigger assets means your capital ratio fell. So a period of rapid growth can also uh, hurt capital ratio. And this is to me is one of the, the, the you know, the biggest things about capital is uh, concern about credit unions of the possibility of growth eroding their capital, causing credit unions to discourage growth. 
And that, to me, is one of the saddest things around. Because, you know, if we, I actually believe, because it's true, the credit unions do a whole lot of good for their members. And so the more members credit unions have, and the more business credit union members are doing with their credit unions, the better off they are. And that's growth. Uh, and so having a, having sufficient capital is is really important uh, in order to be able to withstand growth and not, not to be concerned about having your capital re- reduced too much when you grow. Yeah. So I'm on the island with you, and I've got my one ratio capital. And uh, I'm with you. It's great. I mean, we should have it. We should have more and more capital. So is is there a downside to having too much capital? There's got to be usually with a strength. If you overuse it, there's an issue. What about capital? Yeah. 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 It's, it's not that more is preferred to less. Uh, you, the, and, and, and this is, you know, this is the, the difficult part. The, there, there are all these advantages of capital. You know, it absorbs the losses. It allows growth and all those things. Another one that's kind of important is that it, it examiners like it and we like to keep examiners happy so uh, the, the higher your capital ratio other things being equal the, the more uh, sanguine an examiner is going to be about everything else going on in the credit union so here's here's that there are a, a couple of disadvantages of capital the main disadvantage of capital is that it's really expensive it has a high cost and so main, the maintaining or building a capital uh ratio or maintaining a capital ratio can be really expensive because remember in credit unions we can't issue stock we're owned by our members and the only equity that they have in the credit union is in the form of retained earnings so the only way we get capital is to earn it and here's the bad news to create net income in a credit union remember we're not for profit so we're not you know we're not out there to get profit but we have to have profit in order to build capital but in order to, the only way you can increase your net income is to, I hate to put it this way, to screw someone you like. Um, <laughs> Explain. It is. Okay. Elaborate. So yeah. you got to increase your bottom line. Yep. So how do you increase your bottom line? Well, you charge higher loan rates. That's your members. You pay lower dividend rates. That's your members. You, you impose more fees and charge higher fees. That's your members. Or you don't offer is spend as much money on services your members suffer there, or you don't invest as much in your most important resource, which is your staff. Mm. You have to economize there. So all of those things are taking something away from a really important constituency. The first three are, are, are your members, and it's typically different groups of your members. You know, the the ones who borrow tend to be not the ones who save. And the ones who use most of the fee-based products tend to be a different group, too. So there's that, those three groups of members have to pay if you're going to build your capital. Uh, or your staff is going to have to pay or your, you know, the level of infrastructure and, and, and services that you have in the credit union. So the, the, le- the more you can for, – for, so building your capital ratio to get it you know, from, say, it's too low and you want to get it to a higher level – during the time, and I'm not going to use numbers for the moment, during the time that you're trying to raise your capital ratio, you've got to be nasty to some of your friends. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the issue there. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is the part that I think is even more pernicious, is that to maintain a given capital ratio, if you're growing, the higher the capital ratio that you're trying to maintain, the higher your net income has to be. 
just you know put put simply and just I'm going to just make up two numbers to make them simple. Let's say a credit union is operating with a eight percent capital ratio and another one's operating with a twelve percent capital ratio. The first one thinks that eight percent is a good number for it. The second says we think twelve percent is a good number for us. If the if both credit unions are growing ten percent that year, the first credit union has to only earn 80 basis points ROA in order to maintain its 8% capital ratio given its 10% growth in assets. Got it. The, sec- the second credit union, just with the same 10% growth rate to maintain a 12% capital ratio, has to earn 120 basis points in order to maintain that um, 12% capital ratio. So that's a half again increase in in earnings required to maintain it you know, and, and it's, it's pretty simple for that you know this is the return on equity uh, put slightly differently but it's essentially the higher the capital ratio you want to maintain for any given level of growth you need to earn more and the problem here is that if you are having difficulty earning that much the other way to mess with the equation is to not grow so fast in order to maintain your capital ratio and to me, one of, one of the things that has always concerned me about credit unions, you know, I've been working for credit unions a long time. I love credit unions. But I think credit unions could be doing even more than they do, but they're held back from going for it as much as they could by attempting to maintain capital ratios that might be a little higher than they actually need to be by discouraging growth in order to maintain a capital ratio. Ten years ago, when we're in a nasty, great recession and stuff, hey, that's completely different. But just in the normal course of events, um, I, I, I'm concerned we may be passing up some growth opportunities to maintain capital ratios that might be a little bit too high. That was really helpful to hear that, Billy. You know, as you were talking, I had the mental image of like a neighborhood or an ecosystem and about capital there's some equilibrium here, right? So that we don't screw our neighbors and that we actually thrive together in this ecosystem with equilibrium. So so imagine I'm a CEO, help me out here. I'm a CEO and I'm thinking, you know what? I think I might have too much capital. I think I probably do need to find some way to return value. Maybe talk about how do you jump into a conversation with your board about that? How would you approach what's enough capital how do we think about deploying capital? Because I want to be smart about it. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a, a really big question. And as you, as you of course, know, uh, you and I worked on this with, with partners over the last year. We had a, a project going here. Yes. And, and as, I've, as, as I've mentioned to you then, I think that th- this is one of the three places where the board of directors has the primary responsibility to make the decision. You know, and I understand the board of directors are ultimately responsible for everything in the credit union because that's what the regulator says. But realistically, the three things that the board is really responsible, is really primarily responsible for, the first one is hiring and supervising, supervising the CEO. That's the board's job, and, the, you know, that, that's it. The second one is is deciding upon and setting the vision and mission for the credit union. And this is not done alone, you know, this is done in context with senior management. But once that's sort of set up, it's 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 set up, you know, it can be reviewed. But that's an important thing the board does. The third really important thing the board is is primarily responsible for, I think, is determining the target or the appropriate or the desired capital ratio for the credit union. Because there is no answer and it's it's a it's a trade-off, you know, between the cost of maintaining capital and the 
the risks that you might face and how risk averse the board is. So it, it as you as you said, what how does the CEO go about engaging the board on this? The CEO has to engage the board on this um, because it is the board's responsibility, not not without uh, guidance and support from the senior management of the credit union. But ultimately, this is something that it's 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 this is not a case where I think that the, the, the management should come up with a really firm proposal and go to the board for for validation. I think the, 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 the management needs to engage the board pretty early in the process on some of the decisions that need to be made so that the board is making those decisions that, that end up with a conclusion of what the capital ratio is. Um, well, so, just, just, uh, just yeah. that idea of decision, right? It's not a one-time moment, hey, I'm going to deploy this much capital. Bill, and maybe you're getting ready to lead into this, but the idea of how do you, I say we, board and management, have a process or a way of thinking and understanding that we can make decisions as we go through time about capital, make that decision again, again, and feel very confident that we're on good footing. Maybe maybe you yeah. could help us with that. Yeah, there's, there's sort of two, two components to this. Um, one is, is the ultimate board decision is what is the minimum level of capital that we would be willing, we as a board, as a credit union, would be comfortable with, uh, well, maybe not even comfortable, would be okay with after a series of really negative events. Okay. So it's, it's, it's not what our capital ratio needs to be today. You know, it's, but if, if things really went bad and if, if interest rates moved against us, if we had nasty credit quality problems, if, if we had a liquidity, uh, problem, if, um, we had losses in operations because we started a new program and to do all sorts of things. If thinking of all the things that could go bad at the credit union after those, in, in other words, we'd have some capital reducing uh, actions taking place. So after those capital reducing actions, what's the minimum level of capital we would be willing to accept uh, to sort of bottom out at, at before we started re rebuilding capital toward our target. Uh, and it's, so that's the first decision for the for the board to decide. And you know, there's there credit. There's no right answer here. Creditors can, can disagree. Yeah. You know, yeah. one answer that comes to mind is seven percent. Why? Because uh, about twenty years ago, Congress decreed that to be well capitalized, a credit union needs to have a seven percent net worth ratio. Um, and so, so that's one option. There is it's seven percent. Uh, but at the, in the same, that's, this is prompt corrective action. In the same legislation, they said six percent is adequately capitalized, and so one could also make an argument that being well capitalized is what you want for uh, when things are okay. But at the after a series of really negative events, if we if we bottom out at being adequately capitalized, uh, that's that's cool. So let's say six. One could say that six percent is the low is the the appropriate low level that a board could decide. Uh, on the other hand, a board could say, you know, we don't ever want to even come near prompt corrective action. So we take seven, we add one, we get eight. We want our minimum capital ratio to be eight. This would, I think, be hyper conservative. But a, that is, it's, if that's what a board, after thinking about it, wants to do, that's fine. On the other extreme, I think that one could 
talk a board into, or a board could talk itself into saying, okay, at the end of a bunch of really, really negative things, after we've survived all these hits, uh, so long as we never fall below 5%, that's okay with us. Because uh, we've, we've read the, in detail, we've had our compliance department read the prompt corrective action rule, and the, the, this, 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 the supervisory actions that are imposed on cravings and prompt corrective action start getting start taking effect at under six percent but they really don't get nasty until under five so we you know we'll go to five so or anything in between there i'm just sort of throwing out examples but i think in today's world with the regulatory world we live in the minimum post-shock level of capital is probably driven by prompt corrective action and i think most credits would pick six or seven percent depending on their their risk tolerance well, well, Bill, yeah. I mean, you know, in our conversation and, and to share with our listeners, you know, you helped us have this conversation with our board. And I think it's so important to understand who are the stakeholders to this 6 and 7% and how do you add that together with all the bad things that we could think about happening and rationalizing that to begin to kind of get a feeling for these issues rather than it's really hard to read a policy bill and say seven. Okay, board, can you get around seven without any context of working with the ratio, working with the scenarios, thinking about the different stakeholders? I mean, that process that you walked us through was really helpful to get, in our case, you know, 10 management people and 11 board members up the learning curve and holding hands on, okay, we think we understand it and got it now before we make a, a call as to what is the right level. It took time. Yeah. It took yeah, time. It, it yeah. Did. yeah. Did. And, and, and they need to understand how you might get there. So you raised a very good point. Um, actually, the, the way we did it with your board is we flipped the, the order. Is instead of saying, what's the minimum we want to go to? We said, okay, what are the sorts of risks that we might face? What are the sorts of capital depleting events that this credit union could encounter in terms of things like if interest rates move against us, if we have a recession and that, call, that pushes up, uh, uh, credit losses, uh, you know, loan losses. Data breach. Uh, if we, yeah. Yeah. You know, if we have a data breach, if there's a, if there's an issue with the sponsor that becomes less, you know, less friendly than it used to be, uh, causing reputational risk or something. Yes. It, it, it could, it could be anything. And so, this is where the stat, you know, I, I, well, the reason I went the other direction is I wanted to sort of hope focus that it is ultimately the board's decision to pick that number mm -hmm. but the staff helps the board to get there by first of all explaining the importance of capital and how growth affects it you know the, the fact that to raise more capital you got to raise more net income and all that sort of stuff the, the stuff we talked about a few minutes ago but then the staff what the staff needs to do is to quantify uh the, the various sorts of risks that the credit union might face so that they can come up with a menu for the board, and and then the, the senior management is involved with this too. I think in, in most, I, I would in most credit credit unions that I see that are most successfully run. Sometimes when I'm in the room with at a board board planning session, uh, if I don't know the people, I can't always tell who's on the board and who's in senior management, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, you know when 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 that happens. Uh, but so anyway, but the, what the management does before they get to this point is to, to quantify what the various risks might be. And, the, you know, there are a number of ways to do this. Uh, I know many of the ALM vendors have modules that help a credit union think through these possible risks because it's not just ALM. It's, it's you know, it's 
interest rate risk and liquidity risk, but also credit risk and, and the other, you know, data breaches and things you talked about and things that could be unique to an individual credit union based on its experience and its knowledge of its local market. You, you come up with, all, with a list of, of sort of the total amount of capital that could be lost. Um, and, and that gets the, the, the board to understanding, a better understanding of what after a series of unfortunate events means. I think that's actually a play in London last year. But, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you, you get the board to understand it because they've thought through uh, you know, all, what all these things add up to. And, and, and another thing, as, as we talked about with partners, is uh, the probability of all of these negative things happening, happening simultaneously is incredibly low. In fact, some of them may be uncorrelated with each other, negatively correlated. You know, the uh, interest rate risk, the, the, the threat, especially if you're talking about a rise in interest rates, the threat to a credit of, of a rise in interest rates, if that happens, that typically happens in a really strong economy, and so you're not likely to have rising credit losses at the same time. You know, so, but sort of adding all these things up and thinking about what's the, the worst loss of capital we could have first, and then going saying, okay, after this is an, they now understand what we're talking about of what all these losses could be. Now, after we've had all these losses, what is the minimum level of capital we're willing to fall to after after all of those things that we just discussed? By then, they're pretty educated on the process. And um, you know, as you know, when we did this at your credit union, there was a room. Everyone, I, I set this up so that people were doing it individually. They weren't you know, sharing it in the big room. It was in a, in a, a number of really small groups. Yeah. And they all, all came up with almost the same answer. So. Yeah. So it, it was such a valuable exercise to think about what could go bump in the night. You know, what's the probability? What's the severity? Now let's kind of roll these all up together. You know, that process of having those discussions about each of those events and getting our arms around it was valuable for management to do to provide for the discussion. But then the broader discussion with the board about those, you know, Bill, for me was, you know, you could feel people get their shoulders down and saying, OK, there is a way to think about this and size this and okay good you know because uh, everybody owns that responsibility of safety and soundness and capital is the backstop and you know but how to how to get beyond just those those initial worries or thoughts to a better place saying okay i'm getting comfortable with the idea of deploying it uh, you also helped us with another idea about deploying capital saying you don't have to do it all in one shot you can do it over a three four year period and some of your decisions that you're making, you're setting into motion and you can call them back and others you can't. So you, those are other kind of like levers to think about as you're deploying that you can use and think about. Maybe you can just help us, you know, spend more time with that idea. Yeah, well, two things for, in terms of this not being one and, one and done is that each year the, the summation of the potential negative consequences of, of the risks that currently face credit will be different. So, you know, sort of the, the quantitative analysis that the, the staff does before the board looks at this once a year will come up with different numbers. They're not going to change hugely, but, the, you know, the, the potential losses will change. And, and sort of the simple arithmetic is your target capital ratio should be the minimum you were, would accept after all these bad things happen, plus the amount of, of capital deterioration that is likely to happen if all these bad things happen uh, or making some adjustment for them. They can't all happen at the same time. But if you come up with a maximum loss of capital that you're likely to face, 
you add that to your minimum level, and that's your target capital ratio. So it could change from year to year. I mean, conceivably, you could come back and change the minimum level, but I, I, you know, you want to look at it again from time to time. But it's not like you have to do that from scratch. Yeah. But each year, the, the the quantification of the risks you face could change. So, so then, it, let's say a credit union makeup numbers now it has, for whatever reason, been maintaining a twelve percent capital ratio, thinking that's what it needed. It goes through this analysis and says, you know, we think that our total losses are in a, a really nasty event are going to be four percent of our assets. We think six percent after all of that would be fine. So ten percent is our new capital target. Uh, a, a couple things there. First of all. Um, as you said, Rome wasn't built, needn't be built in a day. Um, and, and also, if, if a credit union is deciding to lower its capital ratio, this is something that uh, might make the examiners slightly nervous. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get their attention. It's going to focus their attention on what's going on. So one of the most important things to do here is, before you actually do this, is to let your examiners know that you're planning on this and why you're planning this and the process you went through and the documentation so they know that you didn't just, your, your capital ratio didn't fall because you screwed up. You, you decided and you, you adopted a plan to do it. Bill, can, can, Bill, can you take yeah. a moment and say, I, I like that idea. So there's other stakeholders, NCUA, regulator being one. What's the proper way to notify them? What's the process that I would use? Is it an email? Depends on how much you're lowering your capital ratio, and okay. it, it depends on how quickly you want to do it. Okay. Uh, you know, if if you have an exam coming up in the next few months anyway, this would be sort of the the, the most important thing to put on the top of the agenda to discuss with the examiner when they're there. If you're not right before an exam, and and it's um, it's going to be a significant change. You know, more than one percent, a, a drop of more than one percentage point. Uh, I think a, a letter to the uh, to the regional director if you're if you're federally chartered uh, or and also if you are if you're state chartered a letter to your to the head of your department of financial institutions whatever it is in your state your state supervisory authority copy to the RD also the regional director NCR regional director just letting them know and and giving them a uh, an overview just a short description of, of what you've done and how you're going to do it, and, and saying if they have any further questions, you'd be happy to provide them or their staff more details on your plans. Okay. Just to, to sort of put them on notice. But 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 the other part of it that, that I think you were asking about because it's something we talked about is to not if you do decide to lower your, your capital ratio in the story I was telling from twelve to ten percent, don't try to do it all in one year because mm. that means you got to you know if you lower your capital ratio from twelve to ten percent. And you're not growing very fast. You're gonna you're gonna have to record a minus 200 basis point ROA, which people don't like. And and you know so that that's not gonna work. So do it gradually. You know so say okay we and, and one of the, the the gradual things to do this is if if part of how you're gonna deploy excess capital if you decide you have excess capital which english means you decide that your capital ratio could do well to be a little lower than it currently is um it, a lot of the ways you deploy excess capital is not necessarily spending money or throwing it away it's investing in new things maybe having some expenses but it's also encouraging more growth and so to the extent you're going to gradually 
bring your capital ratio down to the new target level by stimulating more growth in the credit union. That that itself won't happen overnight. That'll be gradual. Uh, you know, as, as you know, with partners, we looked at a number of possible um, uh, opportunities to deploy capital and sort of at a, at a fairly high level model them out and said what they might do. And then the, the, the board could look at, um, okay, if here's an opportunity we're talking about, uh, here's the advantages to the credit union, here are the extra benefits that it would bring to the members, and here's what it would do to our capital ratio two or three or four years from now. So they could sort of get a view of what some of those things are. That sort of information is also really helpful to, to show the examiners. So they know it's explicitly you're not just trying to throw money away, but you actually have plans to improve the operation of the credit union, improve the services of the credit union, increase the future efficiency of the credit union, whatever it is. Um, and here's how you're going to do it. Yeah, that was something that I really appreciated going through the process with you and the team and the board was that as we modeled ideas through the income statement, is that you could see that some of the ideas, yes, might have required a little capital to kick it off, but some had some pretty good returns that did not have an enduring impact to capital and actually had a nice maybe even return to capital. So it was fun to go through our ideas about how to return member value, and some of them drew down capital pretty dramatically and others not so much. So just yeah, having that, that us on the same page was good. That was really interesting because the staff tried to come out and with and I, the staff and I, we tried to come up with some ways to spend away some capital. And when we, we penciled them out, a couple of them didn't burn any capital because they generated future revenues or future efficiency. So that, that was pretty, <laughs> hard as we might try. And, and so, so those were the no-brainers. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they went to the front of the line real quick. Well, yeah, yeah. hey, Bill. Yeah, what, what, well, yeah, just one other aspect there is that some of the things you might do uh, aren't necessarily – uh, might be simply to say – Okay, we've been laying, go back to my 12 and 10%. That 12% credit, you might say, and you know what? We noticed that our, our loan rates really aren't quite as competitive as many other credit unions in the market or deposit rates for our fees or something. So a credit union could decide to alter its pricing to be more beneficial to the members. That typically will erode some capital because that comes straight out of the bottom line. And also, it tends to stimulate some growth. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be done cautiously, but there's, there's certainly no reason not to do it. And, and that's something where you wouldn't want to say, bingo, okay, let's, let's lower our capital ratio by 200 basis points in the first year by uh, raising dividend rates by 100 basis points and, and uh, cutting loan rates by 100 basis points. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. But, but, but that, is, that, you know, that is another one that, that is, is a totally – uh, acceptable and appropriate use of excess capital is to improve member pricing. Yeah. So, hey, this was cool. We do modeling. We all understand. We make some decisions. Um, but that's that's a long ways from actually having done it. I'm wondering, Bill, do you know if there's case studies, research that people can go to where folks have actually worked this and worked it successfully? Or, may, or maybe not. Maybe there's lessons learned from case studies that you could point yeah. us to. Yeah. I, you know, I... I um, I don't know of any formal case studies. What I, you know, in terms of if a credit union was interested in seeing what other credit unions are doing on this, I think the best place to look is the uh, CFO council community, uh, where where CFOs are talking to each other and they they, they post some white papers from time to time, uh, and 
I know following that from time to time, there, the issue is of comes up of determining appropriate capital levels and how you do it and how you go about it. That's uh, I, I think that would be the best place to look. Yeah, well, I know a lot of CFOs right now are also talking about Cecil. And when we talk about capital, is there a nexus there or a way to think about what its impact might be to capital and capital ratios? Oh, yes. I'm glad you asked that. that that's another one of my pet peeves. I have lots of pet peeves. But, <laughs> um, here's the deal with Cecil is uh, current expected credit loss, the new way of, of loan loss accounting, uh, it, of establishing, uh, determining the appropriate size of the allowance for loan loss. Uh, it it is going to increase other things being equal for a given level of credit quality cecil will require a higher allowance for every dollar of loans outstanding because it's sort of at the beginning of, a, of loans being put on the books the credit union has to essentially um guess uh, how much the loan losses will be over the life of that loan and pre-fund at the beginning all of those losses and so instead of, you know, the current system, this is an oversimplification. Uh, basically, each year, the amount of the allowance account is enough to, is a guess of what the losses might be over the coming year, as opposed to the life, the remaining life of the loans. So that's, um, it's going to increase the amount of uh, uh, the allowance for loan loss. And so that comes out of net income, and therefore that reduces capital. Uh, the day after Cecil takes effect, credit union capital ratios will be lower than they were the day before, simply because of that. And just to make up a number, uh, you know, I've, I've heard re uh, really varying estimates of how much Cecil will increase um, the, the allowance for loan loss account. And, and I, I don't know enough to accept any one of them. So I'm going to make up a number. I'm going to say, let's say that Cecil increases the allowance for loan loss in an amount that is 50 basis points of assets, not of loans, of assets. So, you know, that could be 60, 70 basis points of loans, which makes it 50 basis points of assets. This is just to, to yep. do a simple example that I can follow in my head. I'm with you. So, yeah. So if the day before that, the credit union had a target capital ratio of, let's say, I'll make up another number, 9%, uh, and then the day after that, it's... Uh, and it was at its target. Uh, the day after that, its capital ratio falls to 8.5%. That credit union should, the day Cecil takes effect, well, of course, plan ahead of this, it should adopt a policy at the at a strategic session before the, year, the, the date that Cecil takes effect to lower its target capital ratio by the amount that the allowance for loan loss is increased due to Cecil. And the reason for that is that if 9% was a good number based on a nice rigorous analysis doing all the stuff we talked about 15 minutes ago, you know, and analyzing all the losses and all that sort of stuff and being, being conservative about being, being robust after those losses. If 9% was the right number before, then 8% is the equivalent number now because we, we haven't changed, there's been no change in the credit quality. It's just a different way of measuring their credit quality. We've sort of changed the distance between the tick marks on the ruler. And therefore, we shouldn't say that nine inches today is what nine inches was yesterday because we've changed the tick marks. So if 9% was good yesterday, 8.5% is right today. And to show you that this is not just mere 
theoretical mumbo jumbo from an economist. I actually had a discussion about this with Larry when, back when I was with CUNA, when a lot of what CUNA does is advocating not just with the uh, Congress, but also with the regulatory agencies. I had a conversation with Larry Fazio, and we discussed this. And I made this point, and he said, yeah, you know, I agree with you. And uh, he said that he would consider uh, writing a letter to an exam to the examiners, and which would then be copied, so it would be a letter to credit unions, uh, in the year or so before CISO takes effect, explaining, probably not quite as directly as that, but because, you know, they're regulators, but <laughs> basically saying that um, that because CISO will increase the allowance account for no change in credit quality, uh, if a credit union's net worth ratio is sufficiently, target is sufficiently above 7%, that it would be reasonable for examiners to expect credit unions to be lowering their target capital ratios. Below 7%, you can't do that because that's the law. You know, 7% is well capitalized under prompt corrective action. So, and I don't think NCUA would be very comfortable with most credit unions other than a couple having a 7% target net worth ratio. Yeah. But if you're above 8% or above, you, sh you should be prepared to argue for lowering your, capital, your target capital ratio by the amount that CECL actually does lower your actual capital ratio. That's really good advice. Well, you know, just thinking about, Bill, the way that you continue to, but have always advocated for credit unions while at CUNA, and we're talking about capital now, I'd like to zoom out a little bit and saying, is there anything else that are key learnings during your time that would be important to convey? Anything you have for us today? Yeah. It's don't be beguiled by the doomsayers. Mm. Um you know, I'm sort of, we, economics is supposed to be the dismal science and we're supposed to look at the negative and everything. Yeah. But um, working with credit unions, I think an, a, an optimistic outlook is the appropriate way to, to do things. You know, I, I look back over my career and and this sort of goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning is what's on credit unions' minds. Often what is on credit unions' minds is concern about being able to respond to new forms of competition you know that and you know we all don't want to be codec you know we we, we we don't want to have this product and, and have our heads buried in the sand um and something new comes along and we're left in the dust um so i'm not saying uh that that we don't need to worry about things that in fact it is that worrying that, that i think has, has produced the progress that we've had but i remember in the early 1980s uh, Sears uh, Roebuck, it was called Sears at the time, which was sort of, sort of the Amazon of then uh, in that technology, uh, sort of the retail giant bought Dean Witter, which was a, a brokerage firm. And everyone thought, uh-oh, now people are going to go to Sears for socks and bonds, and this is just going to wipe because, you know, our members are all going to go to Sears for financial services instead of us. Well, that didn't happen. I remember that. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then about 10 or 15 years later, Sears was fading away into oblivion. They bought Kmart and then kind of went down. But soon after that, it was Walmart. And, you know, Walmart was going to take, was the biggest, was the retail giant, the biggest firm on, you know, in a, on Wall Street, you know, most highest capital. Um, and it was going to get into the banking business. It was going to offer payment services. Uh, and that was going to wipe us out. And that didn't happen. And now it's Amazon. 
you know, and so Amazon is, you know, starting to get into small business lending. Uh, they've got these reloadable gift cards uh, that can be sort of a substitute for a checking account. Um, they're they're actually doing some partnerships with some banks for some for certain checking accounts, and so all those things, you know, we should be concerned about those. But the other thing is that I just looked at some numbers uh, recently. When I started with CUNA back in the in 1978, there were uh, a little over 40 million. Uh, members of credit unions. Wow! Wow! Uh, today there are 120 million members, almost. It's 118, but I round up. I'm an economist. We're approaching 120 million memberships in credit unions. That's a threefold increase. Back then, the population of the U.S. was 220 million. Today, it's 330 million. So that's a 50 percent increase. So the the membership in credit unions has grown at twice the rate. That the, that the population has grown uh, with, with the result that we've gone from back then about 18% of the population belonging to credit unions to net today 36%. Now, so, some of those are, are multiple memberships. You know, people belong to one member, sure. one, more than one credit union. But we have somewhere, today we have somewhere between 20 and 25% of adults in the U.S. use a credit union as their primary financial institution. And 40 years ago, it was less than 10%. So, you know, we're still, you know, that, that still means that 70, 75% of the market is someplace else, but we're moving in the right direction. So, you know, the, 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 the one learning I got is, is pay attention to all these threats, but don't let them overcome you. Just by, by responding to those threats is, is I think, a big part of where, where our success comes from. Bill, you know, hearing that kind of context really helps, right? Play long ball, and I think our capital structure, because we don't have to make quarterly earnings, allows us to play long ball. Go ahead and think that way. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we have a huge advantage as cooperatives mm -hmm. because we, we, we don't have as many stakeholders. You know, you asked about stakeholders before. Yeah. The, the, sta the stakeholders of a credit union are the examiners, the staff, and the members. And the members are represented by the board, but th that's it. And if you're a similarly situated, similarly sized bank, your stakeholders are your examiners, your staff, your customers, and overriding all of that is your stockholders. Hmm. And pleasing those stockholders draws away so much strategic energy and, and affects how you behave toward your customers. Uh, and puts them second and it makes you know it's, i hate to say this but running a credit union is easier than running a bank because you just need to concentrate on taking care of your owners who happen to be your members yeah focus uh, focus on your members whereas if you're we're running a bank you'd have to you'd have to concentrate on pleasing your owners who don't act, happen to have the same interests as your customers so you have to keep your customers happy enough so that you can earn money from them to keep your owners really happy, but that's it's that gives us in credit unions a, that cooperative structure. Uh, you know, the tax exemption doesn't hurt, but the, that cooperative structure is the, is the driving force that that allows credit unions, enables credit unions, that helps credit unions keep, keep being responsive and doing the right thing and gradually chipping away at the rest of the world. And where, when other people, when other businesses are falling by the wayside, we're not. We're getting stronger and stronger.
Well, that's a, that's a key learning, key observation. I'm, I'm fond of the saying that a lot of times learning is just remembering, remembering our strengths and advantages and then have the courage or to take the risk and to step out and do that. You know, Bill, we're coming to the end of our time today. And, you know, I'm wondering, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, no, I, I, I think that's it. You know, as, as many people in your audience will know if they heard me before, I actually think a lot of credit unions could rethink their capital positions and might be able to operate with a bit less than they have in the past. And if they do so, that the cool thing is that that would allow them to do even more for their members. But but just don't take my word for it. They should go through an analysis and see if, if see what they think their capital is. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, this last stuff I was talking about sounds kind of Pollyannish. You know, things are great. We're doing fine. We're, um, it may be a bit Pollyannish, but, but, you know, I started at the beginning saying one of the things I, in my consulting business we, I do is use the economic my economic training to address these questions, and that means to be data-driven. And the data sort of doesn't lie. You know, we are picking up market share, we're growing. That can't mean that we're dying. So we just, you know, you keep doing what we're doing. And never, never go to sleep, always stay in your toes. But we, we can, and credians have a positive outlook for the long-term future. Well, thank you for sharing the outlook. And not only that, Bill, but a way to think about it and a way to take action more than thoughts, you know, to actually make things better. So, you know, just in closing, hey, thank you so much for joining the show today, for lending your expertise to our listeners. And uh, in the show notes today, we'll make sure that folks like to continue this conversation with you, that they can find that information. And Bill, just uh, thank you so much for being here today. Okay, John, and thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And, and, and as you know, helping credit unions think through capital is has been one of my big deals for the last 20 years. And the opportunity to do that with you at Partners over the last year was really a lot of fun. So thank you for that. It was for us, too. Hey, to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And stay tuned for next month. We'll bring you another great interview from C-Suite Interviews. Bye for now, everyone. <laughs>